0: Good morning, everybody. Super happy and excited and privileged that you all are here today joining me. And for those of you online, I'm super happy that you are tuning in as well, whether it's at home or even on a spring break destination. I actually asked my fiance today if she was gonna tune in from Hawaii. And she asked me, does that mean, like what time does that mean I have to wake up? And I was like, uh, probably around 4 a.m. And let's just say she's, she's not joining us today. So, <laughs> which is fine, it's totally fine. For those of you that don't know, Siler mentioned my name is Luke Babby and I'm the middle school director here at Christchurch Lake Forest. I've been a part of Christchurch now since the fall of 2018. I, I've started as the intern under Siler for the O-1 as, and also Shig and I loved it. I, I actually, I absolutely loved it. And it was while I was there. I also um, was going to TEDs, which I just graduated from TEDs this August, which is amazing. And, and I've. I've I had a f- strong calling and conviction to teach the word of God. So anytime I get an opportunity like this to preach, I am very happy. In the fall of 2019, I stopped my internship and became the middle school director, which meant that I was in charge of the Cove Ministries and the Compass Ministry as well. And let me just tell you, it's, it's, the, it's been the best job in my life. Uh, it's been easily my favorite job. Um, I've really enjoyed it. The youth here at Lake Forest, I have fallen in love with ever since I've been working here. Um, both the high schoolers and the middle schoolers, and I feel privileged and honored that I get to know them and teach them the word of God at a weekly level. And I, think, I like to think that they're pretty proud of me to preach here on Sunday. They kind of helped me pick out my outfit, told me what to do with my hair. So this is for you guys. I hope that you guys are, are proud of me. Siler mentioned today that we are preaching from John. John chapter 10 to be exact. In John 10, Jesus makes an extremely bold offer to his people. A bold offer that we're, we're, we're kind of used to bold offers in American society, whether uh, every four years this past November, there's a, there's a presidential election that happens. And we have two leaders of, of two different parties giving us very bold promises, making bold statements on, on their platform, saying that if you vote for me, your life will be better in this way. Well, in John 10.10, 10, the verse just before our pastors that we will study today Jesus makes the boldest claim ever. He says, If you follow me, you will have abundant life. You will have a fulfilled life. You will live the best life possible. And so I want to start today by asking you, for those of you who claim to be Christ followers, do you believe you are living the best life possible? Do you believe that Jesus offers abundant life, a fulfilled life? Would you vote for Jesus? We're in the middle of our I Am series and that means that we've been going through the book of John and we will continue to do that. There are seven I Am statements in the book of John. John is personally my favorite gospel, one of my favorite books of the Old Testament. Historically, it's known that John was written, that it was the last gospel to be written. And John claims to be the, the disciple that Jesus loves the most. So I like to think that after Mark... Matthew and Luke were circulated. He maybe read those or or heard what was said in those. He wanted to take a shot at writing his own gospel. He wanted to give his perspective on the life and ministry of Jesus. And in those, one thing that sticks out in John is the I am statements. Two weeks ago, we learned that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. A very profound statement. Last week, Pastor Mike told us that Jesus claimed that he was, I am the I am. Referencing the God of the Old Testament, Jesus is saying that he is the same God that exposed himself to Moses and the burning bush. The same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God who lifted the Israelites out of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery, and brought them to the land of Canaan. We look at those statements and they're very profound, they're very deep. Each I Am statement is a a claim that Jesus is making to divinity, And so, when we see that he says, I am the shepherd, we ought to ask, I'm sorry, when he says, I am the bread of life, we ought to ask ourselves, what what does that make us? If Jesus is the bread, then we must be the consumers. We are the hungry, spiritually malnourished people, and Jesus is that bread that will sustain us. Jesus is that bread that will provide for us. So, today in our passage, in verse 11 of John chapter 10, Jesus makes a new I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd. What does that mean? And and probably when he said that to the people of his day, it probably, he wasn't complimenting himself. The shepherds weren't a noble position to be had. And saying he's the good shepherd is kind of like saying like almost like I am the honest lawyer or the uh, trustworthy politician. He was lowering himself by saying that he was a shepherd. But other than that too, what does that make us? If he is our shepherd, what does that make us? And the simple answer is this, it makes us sheep, which isn't the most flattering animal to be, to be called, to be identified with. If I were to poll my cove students here today and ask them, what animal do you identify with? What animal would you like to be? They probably wouldn't say sheep. And it's because sheep aren't flattering animals. They, they are dependent animals. A lot of people say that they are dumb animals. The growing up in the church I would hear stories and different sermons on sheep and one thing that always, one story that stuck out to me, one characteristic about sheep that I've always kind of carried with me is the fact that sheep are followers. And so one story I've always heard is that sheep tend to follow whatever's in front of them. So if a sheep if a group of sheep, a flock of sheep, are running in a circle, they are simply following the sheep in front of them and running in a circle endlessly. And so whoever's taking care of the sheep, they see this, they notice this, they probably roll their eyes, they know that these sheep are going to run until they no longer have legs, until they no longer have energy, until they pretty much kill themselves, and they and, and the shepherd has to intervene and tackle one of the sheep. That way they stop. Sheep are are people that are, are animals that are dependent, are followers. And Jesus is making a claim that He is a shepherd, which means that we are sheep. And this isn't an idea or topic that is introduced by Jesus in John chapter 10. It's throughout all of scripture, the idea of a shepherd and a sheep. The, probably the most popular shepherd in the Old Testament is David. And as I say that, the cove middle schoolers who probably are listening online or who are here today are probably rolling their eyes or, or, or perking up and wanting to pay attention. I say that because ever since August, we have been studying the book of First Samuel. And in First Samuel, we meet a young David. We meet Samuel, Samuel, the prophet, meets David and is picking out the next king of Israel. And we see that Jesse has eight sons and one of his sons is going to be king. And Jesse doesn't even think that it's going to be David. David is the runt of the family, the youngest, the smallest, and he has him actually tending sheep during that time. But as we meet David, as Samuel meets David, he anoints him with oil and says that the Lord chooses him to be the next king of Israel. And from that point on, we learn that David is a man after God's own heart. He is filled with the Spirit of God. He goes on to... What we most know him for, what he's most well known for, defeat Goliath in that amazing battle with just a sling and a stone. And then he goes on to lead Israel in many victories as a war general, per se. He is the hero of Israel pretty much overnight. All of the middle schoolers had his poster on their, on their closet door. He was the hero of Israel. He then goes on to become king, and it's known that he is the best king. He was the king at the height of Israel's power. And this is all because he's a man after God's own heart. And then on top of that, he was also a poet. So he's an athlete and he's an artist. Like, he's got it all. He's got the charisma. Every, everything he does, he woos people wherever he goes. But he's also a poet. And he, he's responsible for writing a lot of the Psalms, the biggest book in the Bible. His most popular Psalm is Psalm 23, one that I'm sure a lot of us know. It reads like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So the same guy who becomes the best king of Israel, this military force of the ancient Near East, this champion of Israel who conquered Goliath and conquered the Philistines, is humbling himself to... That of a sheep is humbling himself and looking to the Lord and saying, the Lord, Lord, you are my shepherd. He is saying that he needs to be someone who is, he needs to be comforted, who needs to be led to still water so that he could drink. He is claiming to be a follower, following along his Lord. Now, if we were to compare my accomplishments, my resume, to that of David's, I wouldn't last very long. I wouldn't want to go and compete for a job against David. If, if, if people were hiring me or David, they'd pick David, and I'd understand that. I, I don't blame you for picking David. I would pick David as well. But David right here is humbling himself and saying that he is a sheep. And the reason I'm saying this, the reason we should care about this, is because if David can identify as a sheep, one of the most successful characters in all of Scripture— then we should have no problem saying that we are sheep as well. We are in need of a shepherd. For some of you, that may be easy to do. The idea of guidance and needing it might be an easy thing for you to—, to that idea might be a welcoming one. For others, maybe you're more independent, and this is, a, this is harder for you to, to chew on. But as we shift our focus today, we aren't going to focus on how dependent we are and how much we need a shepherd. Our passage today— In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 21, focuses on on how good the shepherd is, how good Jesus is, and how good of a leader he is. So as we shift focuses, as we we are about to open up to these verses, I want to first set the stage for why Jesus is saying the things that he is saying. It all starts actually in chapter 9. Jesus sees a blind man. He encounters him. This blind man has been blind his whole life. Everybody knows him as the town blind man, not the most flattering of things. He runs into him. He spits in some mud. He rubs the mud on the man's eyes, and the man who has never seen anything is suddenly able to see. This beautiful miracle happens. People who see this man being able to see, they celebrate in it. But then there's a group of people called the Pharisees, the leader of these people, the spiritual leader that people look up to, and instead of celebrating this miracle, they, they get hung up on the fact that Jesus performed this on the Sabbath. And then they, instead of celebrating and asking questions, they interrogate this man. And then they put him to shame and say that his, his blindness was because of some sort of sin. And when Jesus catches wind of this, he is disgusted. He calls it out. Which is something that he does all throughout Scripture. Whenever he is exposed to people in need of leadership... He tends to be deeply moved. He tends to have compassion on them. It actually makes me think of Mark chapter 6. Right before Jesus heals the 5,000, or sorry, feeds the 5,000, not heals them. Right before he feeds the 5,000, he looks upon the crowd and he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. So this idea of sheep needing shepherds and us being those sheep has been all throughout scripture. And when Jesus is exposed to poor leadership, like the Pharisees showed in, in chapter 9, he goes on to do miraculous things. He goes on to say miraculous things. In Mark chapter 6, he goes on to heal 5,000. In John chapter 10, he goes on to say that he is the good shepherd. So let's read verses 11 through 13. It says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The good shepherd will not and does not ever fail us. He will not ever fail us. And so we have to see as we read these verses, we have to notice that Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees. He is disgusted by their their lack of leadership. And that's why these hired hands, he, he's calling the Pharisees out. Along with teaching this idea that we tend to stray away from the voice of God. We tend to look to hired hands. And there's legitimate reason for that. There was legitimate reasons for Jews to follow the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a lot of knowledge. They, they looked good. They sounded good. They, they performed the rituals. They didn't act on the Sabbath. As we look to what our hired hands are, whether it be artists or intelligent people, loved ones, there are legitimate reasons to follow hired hands. But what Jesus is telling us here is that those hired hands will fail you at one point or another. Probably an idea that we all understand. We all probably have been hurt by someone that we put faith in. We all have probably been heartbroken by people that we look up to who have failed us. And Jesus here is saying that hired hands will do that. And then he's also suggesting that we are in a lot of danger. There is a flock of wolves looking to pounce on the flock, and the good shepherd is protecting, aware of this. And if you identify, if you follow somebody, they most likely will fold at the first sight of trouble, but not the good shepherd. So we have to understand this concept that the good shepherd will not fail us, while others will. Jesus notices this danger, but one, one thing I want to point out is that this is just a parable. The danger and consequences that we face if we stray away, if we, if we depend on hired hands, isn't something of a wolf. Isn't, isn't the threat of a wolf, a pack of wolf, biting us? Like, that's not what we're going to deal with. It's actually a spiritual, eternal consequence that we deal with. It's much more dire. And Jesus recognizes this. Jesus knows this. And he goes on to say in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and i know the father and i lay down my life for the sheep i have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen i must bring them also they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd so here jesus is saying that the good shepherd knows us and a word that's that's used for knowing here implies an intimate knowing implies a familiarity that Jesus has with each and every member, with, with, each, with each sheep, with each member of his flock. Jesus, Jesus knows us at an intimate level. When I think about people that I'm close with, my fiance Jessica, who is not listening today, that's totally fine, whatever, I'm not bitter. When I think about her, she, she knows me, right? Like she knows sometimes how I'm feeling or thinking or what, I, what I'm about to say or do before I even detect it in myself. That intimacy is what Jesus is talking about here when he says that he knows his sheep and he wants his sheep to know him. Except it goes even further because Jesus is our creator. He wired us and he also has laid out a path for us to abundant life. So he knows us even to, to that deeper of a level. And then he goes on to say that he wants, he's opening the doors. He wants more people to join his flock. And this was a radical statement when he made this, because he's talking to Jews, and Jews tended to believe that the the gospel and, and the Messiah was simply for them. But Jesus is opening the doors, and actually, if you're not ethically Jewish, if you are a Gentile, this statement is for you. This statement is for me, which we should be encouraged by, excited by. His flock is big, and it's growing, and he has the power and capacity to know each and every one of us at a personal, deep level because he created us and he has a plan for us. Earlier this week, I was looking through Twitter and Tom Brady, I follow him, he, he, he tweeted something ridiculous. He said that he wants to interact with each and every one of his followers, each and every one of his fans. And Tom Brady is probably the most popular athlete in America, maybe even in the world, definitely the most successful. He, he has a lot of fans. He's a lot of, he tweeted out his number so that people can text him and he can interact with them. And his one rule was don't text me on game day. Now, I see the pessimism in your eyes. I could feel it online as well. Like, you guys know what's coming here. But I definitely saved his contact on my phone. I sent him a text. I needed to know. I asked him a question Why didn't you join Chicago? Like, it would have been fun for you to, you know, hoist the Lombardi trophy for Chicago. Why didn't you pick us last offseason? And the response I got from him was not personal at all. (laughs) It was actually an automated message, right? He just just said words that he probably sent to everybody that texted him. And I probably signed up for some TB12 supplements, and I'm probably on a newsletter that I'm going to be on for the rest of my life that annoys me, and it's in my spam junk email, right? Like, we all know that Tom Brady doesn't have the capacity. He is limited, and he isn't able to interact with each and every person that texted him this week, let alone his entire fan base. But that's not the... We can't put those limitations on Jesus. We need to know that, that he knows us intimately and he wants to know us even more. Then he goes on to say that sheep know his voice, which is actually something that sheep actually, sheep actually hear the voice of their shepherd and they respond and they, and they follow suit. And he's saying that, that those who are, who are part of his flock will, will follow in line and follow him. And so I ask you here today, those who claim to believe in Christ, those who claim to follow him, how... How do you respond to his voice? How has his voice changed you? Is it an easy claim claim to believe when he says that he he offers abundant, fulfilled life? He offers the best life possible. Do you see that when you listen to that voice, when you respond to that voice, that's the path that you walk down? When I think about this concept of voice, it makes me think of David again. And like I said, we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel all year. And, and most of the time, David is right in line with the Lord. Always, every decision he makes, he is communicating with the Lord. He is seeking him out, seeking out his will and everything. And, and the Lord blesses him through a lot that's going on. But later on in First Samuel, he kind of, loses, David loses his way. And scripture is very absent when, like, it doesn't talk about how David doesn't communicate with the Lord during this time. And during that time, he has legitimate reasons to, to, to be freaking out and panicking. He's, he's Israel's most wanted at this point. The king Saul is threatened by him and is hunting him down. And after a couple of close calls with the king, David thinks it's wise to go to the land of his enemies and serve the Philistines. The same Philistines that provided Goliath. The same Philistines that David has been slaughtering through the guidance and protection of the Lord. When David stops listening and tunes out the voice of the Lord, he finds himself in the land of his enemies. And I, I, w- I want to make this clear. When we choose to follow the Good Shepherd, that doesn't mean that the wolves around us just disappear. That doesn't mean that the threat is just gone. That doesn't mean that in our lives today, we will always be facing the most ideal situations. When I say that Jesus provides abundant life, the best life possible, that doesn't mean that we won't have struggle and toils in this world. That doesn't eradicate the wolves in our lives. It's, it's actually kind of hard, but we are protected by him and guided by him. And when we, we have to understand that we subject ourselves to a tremendous amount of danger when we choose to stray away from his voice. When David did it, he was in the land of his enemies, serving them, enslaved to them. In the next few verses, we're going to learn why we should want to continue to follow Jesus, why we should continually listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Verse 17 tells us this. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. So here Jesus is telling us, that the good shepherd lays down his life for us. So we've learned that the good shepherd will not fail us. The good shepherd knows us and loves us. And now he's saying that the good shepherd lays down his life for us, which is essential. He's saying when the wolves come, he doesn't, he doesn't use a weapon and, and, and stray them away with a rod, like what David did when he was a shepherd. No, his weapon is sacrifice. His weapon is a cross that he voluntarily picked up and carried to Calvary and died on. But what we have to remember here and what Jesus says here is Jesus calls a shot and says that death won't overcome him and he will have victory over it there's hope that the cross presents Jesus dies and then resurrects proving to us that he can he can fend away all the wolves proving to us that he can save us from the penalty and punishment that sin presents in our lives all we have to do is simply follow him and it's a daily decision that we make and because of the sacrifice that he makes for us, we are able to be known by the Father. We are able to be known by our Creator. That intimate knowing that happens is all possible because Jesus lays down his life for us. This is essential to understand. And this is why we, why we celebrate Easter every, every year. We have to understand that when we choose to follow the Good Shepherd, we are choosing someone that will not fail us. We are choosing someone that will protect us from danger, that lays down his life in the sight of danger. We have to understand that he offers abundant fulfillment, abundant life, the best life possible. So that's all that Jesus has to say on this topic. But the reason why I love John so much is that sometimes he adds more information. And so whenever John decides to address the audience, whenever the narrator is speaking in John, your ears should perk up and you should really listen to what he has to say. Verse 19, he says this, the Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, "He is a demon-possessed and raving man. Why listen to him?" But others said, "These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind?" I love how John chooses to end this because he plays with this idea of the good shepherd's voice. He sa- he, he literally says The Jews who heard these words, the Jews who heard these voices from the Good Shepherd, responded in two different ways. Jesus was a very polarizing person. He said a lot of radical things, just in this chapter alone. And the way the Jews responded to it were were either in complete acceptance or fearful and confusion and rejection. In verse 19, we learn that there are people, or sorry, verse 20, we learn that there are people that hear the voice of God and doubt him and reject him. As if the shepherd were to call their names and they were sheep, they would, list, they would hear the noise and then continue about going about their business. But then there's another group of people that have been exposed to the voice of the Lord and they follow suit. They fall in line. They hear the things that, they hear what Jesus sa- is saying and they, they confirm it with what he's done. As we look to, as we claim to be believers in Christ and, 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 and members of this second group, who accept Jesus, we look at what he's done on the cross and the things that he says and the things that he's done in our lives personally, and that makes us follow suit. And we have to understand when we choose not to listen to that voice, when we choose not to follow him, we put ourselves in danger. It makes me think of war drums. <laughs> Interesting thought, but before modern warfare, one of the main ways generals would communicate with their soldiers, with their army, was by a rhythm on a drum. And during battle, they would, if if one rhythm went one way, that meant that they had to march in a certain rhythm and a certain pace. If, If another rhythm came, that meant that they had to attack in a certain formation or style. And if another rhythm came, that meant that they had to retreat. If you were a soldier of this army hearing these drums, you would want to respond to that voice because the consequences of not responding are dire. You're in the middle of battle. But it also makes me think of the other side. They still hear those drums, but they don't respond. So my question to you today is, which voice do you respond to? There are voices everywhere, but are we responding to the good shepherd? Are we allowing him to lead us? And do we believe that when we we are led by him, we live an abundant life? David knew that he was lost without a shepherd. David knew that he needed the Lord's voice to guide him. That times when he didn't, he found himself serving his enemies. Look what 1 Samuel tells us. That's why he wrote the writings of Psalm 23. That's why I read it here today. We have to believe that the good shepherd not only protects us from danger and knows us and will not fail us, but we also have to take him at his word when he tells us that we will live an abundant life. We will live the best life possible. So as we close here today, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Have you been changed by the voice of God? When you hear it, do you fall in line? And do you see the blessings that it provides? Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for giving me an awesome opportunity to speak to everyone here today, Lord. And I thank you for the offer that you make to us of abundant life. I thank you for the fact that you know us. You know the situations that we're in. You know our need for a good shepherd, Lord. And I pray for everyone that's tuning in and listening that we can realize our desperate need for a good shepherd our desperate need for guidance, counsel, comfort. And it's in your name I pray, amen.